Hello, and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine McKay, and today I'm joined by Dr. David Isaacs. Um, And today we're talking about monkeypox. But before we get into it, David, I wonder if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Yes, thanks very much, Catherine. Um, So I'm a pediatric infectious disease specialist. I've worked for the last 30 plus years at the Children's Hospital at Westmead um, in infectious diseases. But right now I'm almost retired (laughs) and I spend officially half a day a week um, as medical lead in clinical ethics at the hospital in Westmead. At Westmead. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Pleasure. So we're going to talk about monkeypox, which is um, kind of new on the scene and somewhat recent on the scene in Australia. Um, so, David, what is monkeypox? Yeah, well, uh, monkeypox is a disease that was called monkeypox because it was first described in monkeys, in lab laboratory monkeys in Copenhagen at the Serum Statins Institute in 1958. Um, At that stage, there were no known cases in humans. Um, The first recorded case was a child, actually, in the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1970. And it's a disease that's been almost exclusively seen in Africa until the beginning of this year. So from 1970 onwards, cases were described either in West Africa in Nigeria and the Cameroons, or in um, predominantly, or in Central Africa, um, predominantly the DRC the, in the Congo um, and surrounding countries of it. And in Africa, it's a disease that really could be quite severe. So um, mortality of around 3% um, in Central Africa and about 1% in um in West Africa, and a disease that resembles smallpox in some ways. So the people get a rash that looks a bit like smallpox. Um, they get fevers and chills and muscle aches, headaches, um, lymph nodes get swollen. So, and it's related to smallpox, this virus. And the West was really not interested in this disease much at all. And the disease reporting was difficult because of identifying it clinically um, and lack of laboratories in some of the endemic parts of Africa. And so the West really, you know, typical Western fashion, we just said, oh, African disease, we don't have to worry about it. And then at the beginning of this year, it started spreading. um, And the spread has been really quite rapid. So, for example, I was writing an editorial about this two months ago, and I said there have been 2,000 cases described outside Africa, mainly in men who have sex with men, um, almost exclusively, and there have been eight cases in Australia at that time, two months ago. Since then, the number of cases in the world outside Africa has increased to over 35,000. And the number of cases in Australia is over 100 now. So quite a steady increase. And the World Health Organization has described this as a um, a public health emergency of international concern, which is not quite a pandemic, but it's sort of, they didn't want to call it a pandemic so soon after our last pandemic, (laughs) but it's, 
you know, a pandemic means a disease that's spreading around the world. Mm-hmm. That's definition of pandemic. And it is a pandemic, really. It's just a question of how severe it is. Um, in Europe and Australia and elsewhere, there have been almost no people who have died from it. So um, it seems to have different epidemics, and it's almost exclusively in men who have sex with men. Whereas in Africa, a bit like HIV, there's been spread to a wider population than men who have sex with men. And the terminology is very difficult, isn't it, Catherine? I mean, you're, it sounds as if you're othering men who have sex with men by saying the rest of the population or what have you. And so as we talk about this, we have to be very careful about the dangers of homophobia in this and also about the language that we use, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That actually, there's a lot of questions that I have off the back of that, a few technical ones before we get into the kind of ethical questions, which you've raised. But yeah. but one, one question that I wanted to clarify off the bat is um, whether or not this is like an exclusively adult disease, because you said that the first human case was in a child. So have there been children affected as well? So, so the disease is transmitted. Certainly in Africa, children have been affected, not in Australia yet. And so I've never seen a case. I've just seen photos of it. Um, and mostly in Europe, where most of the disease has been in the United Kingdom, interestingly, probably because of people traveling to and from Africa. Um, so a legacy of Britain's colonial past, if you like. Um, but so by and large in Africa, there have been cases in children and not so much elsewhere. The disease is spread by... So you've got the virus in these pox that you have, um, these blisters, and the blister fluid is infectious and possibly respiratory secretions. So the most of the transmission is by close physical contact. Um, it's possibly to be tra- possible to be transmitted by towels and so on. So people talk about, you know, being careful not to share towels with someone who you know has got it. Uh, the question is, do you know they've got it? It is possible to have monkeypox without the rash, although by and large, it's almost exclusively that people who are infected do have a rash. Mm-hmm. Um, but to avoid transmission, if you know someone's got it, we talk about socially isolating or physically isolating from them, um, and they're not sharing uh, secretions in any way if you possibly can. Um, so it's a close bodily contact seems to be the major way of transmitting. And of course, if you're sleeping with a child and you've got it, as happens in some communities, then the child can catch it. So, yes, children can get it um, and they can get very severely unwell. And there have been deaths in children in Africa, certainly from it. And what happens besides um, death? What kind of um, illness kind of comes from it? Uh, look, it's like a severe I mean, apart from the rash, it's like a severe influenza, which is a bit like severe COVID, if you like, and it's worse. You get muscle aches and so on, um, and and these chills. Uh, you feel very unwell, but you're going to recover. And there aren't sequelae. You don't get nasty um, side effects later on from it. Okay. But, but it's understudied a mm-hmm. lot of and so the reports now are just coming in from Europe. There's just been one in New England Journal of 500 cases in Europe. No, nobody died from that. Um, and 
well, we'll go on and talk about the ethics of it. But uh, I mean, a couple of interesting things that I'll just tell you as mm-hmm. anecdotes. So I knew virtually nothing about monkeypox, having just read about it in um, New England Journal of Medicine and third, oh, well, it's mainly in adults. Um, and, you know, once before I read about an article that only affected gay men, and I thought, well, this won't affect children once much. And that was in 1981. <laughs> and that disease was, of course, HIV infection. And mm-hmm. a, and it does inf- affect children, of course, you know, get a, in, infected through blood supply and so on. And so there are parallels. And what then happened was that I got a photograph walking in the, in the bush one morning, as I do, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine in England in a panic saying that his pregnant daughter had been doing a life support course and had just been told afterwards that the person that was training her had been diagnosed with monkeypox. And it can cause a nasty infection in pregnant women and cause them to miscarry. It doesn't cause a sort of... Uh, a congenital disease like um, German measles does, but it mm-hmm. d- can cause them to miscarry. And so they were in a panic about her. So I had to find out about it fast. And luckily I knew a very good public health physician in, in London who's a friend and and he rapidly went into bat for them and was able to reassure him, her that the risk was much was really very low and that she didn't need anything special doing. I mean, there are things you can do. You can give antiviral drugs there's an antiviral drug called tecovirimat that has been used not very much you can actually give smallpox immunization as a post-exposure prophylaxis um, but she didn't qualify for that so we were able to um, reassure her about that Um, so I thought right I, I write regular editorials for the Journal of Pediatrics and Child Health I'm the editor of that journal and I thought oh I'll, this is interesting I'll write one about monkeypox so I wrote it about monkeypox and I sent it to this public health physician friend in the UK to um, you know I always send it off to other people to review and he came back at me with the fiercest criticism of my what I'd written that I've ever had and I thought whoa you know And he was right about all of them. It was fascinating. And so one of the things that I had mentioned was about um, gay men going to festivals in Europe. And apparently there's a sort of festival season and people go from one festival to another in different cities in Europe around this time of year. Mm -hmm. And I'd mentioned that and he absolutely hammered into me about that and said of the cases in England only a quarter of them had been associated with festivals this was gay shaming if I wasn't I mean he didn't call it that but basically was saying here's the risk of homophobia and so on now that's actually quite interesting because I happened to be talking to someone very high up in public health in New South Wales recently about this and she was saying well, that's all very well, but if it is transmitted in festivals through um, through contact there, perhaps gay men need to know about that at least um, to modify their behaviour, not saying don't go to the festivals, but just be a bit careful and so on, and um, take the appropriate precautions. And so that there is a public health message that may inform 
men who have sex with men about risky behavior in these circumstances and the risks in Europe. So there's a sort of, uh, you have to weigh up the benefits of, of how you communicate, if you like. But I wasn't doing that, really. I'm not talking to gay men in writing to in a pediatric journal. So he was ripping into me about it. And I quickly took it out of the article. Um, he also, I sort of said one or two things about this very little um, transmission in Australia, um, and I used some adjective like, um, you know, commendably or something like that. He said, oh, so Australians um, are commendable and the Europeans aren't. Is that right? And <laughs> the commendably quickly went out as well. And it just shows you about language mm -hmm. and the way we talk about it. So uh, there's so many interesting the things there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think one one thing that I wanted to um, kind of, I guess, pick up on and ask you about it's kind of like it's so i've seen the uh reports as well saying that um it monkeypox seems to be most common right now in men who have sex with men and then like you were saying it's kind of like this balance between stigmatizing the group and also alerting the group to the fact that something is going yeah. on so it's kind of like that public health um initiative to try to inform um against worrying that you're causing greater stigma but at the yeah. same time it doesn't seem like i mean so it seems to be the case now that that's the group that is um most affected but there doesn't seem to be anything like there's no reason for that in the virus itself from what i've no, understood no, no, absolutely and mm. so i mean m most human viral infections start in animals and then may transmit to humans and the way mode of transmission will depend on the nature of the virus. So HIV is thought to have been transmitted from monkeys by people butchering monkeys, cutting the monkey in themselves, and it gets into their bloodstream. Okay. And it's the bloodstream spread predominantly in HIV infection. And the fact that it started in gay men is interesting in itself, and that's one mode of transmission through sexual contact with HIV. Um, but uh, it initiated probably, possibly in the um, gay population, in men who have sex with men. But in Africa, it very quickly became a heterosexual disease. And in, the, and in countries outside Africa, it was predominantly a gay disease to begin with. But once... Um, if you had blood transfusions from men who have sex with men, and that was much more likely when blood was sold as a commodity in the US, for example, than it was in places where it wasn't sold as a commodity, then, um, then it would spread to um, females and then mother-to-child transmission occurred. So mother-to-child transmission is very common in Africa originally, um, now prevented... Um, by interventions to, to reduce the amount of virus there. Um, but in the West, um, mother-to-child transmission was relatively uncommon and remains relatively uncommon. But anyway, to go back to your point, there is no reason that this should not spread um, from men to women, to children, and even to babies um, 
And yes, and that's part of the reason for sort of trying to prevent transmission. Mm -hmm. And the vaccine, we've, we've not got good smallpox vaccines. They've all, you know, they were used to wipe out smallpox. Um, uh, uh, and that was originally wiped out in 1978, smallpox. Mm -hmm. And then smallpox vaccination worldwide was able to be stopped, saving billions of dollars. But the vaccines are still there and people are now actually using them um, to try to limit disease spread. Of course, they're using them in countries that can afford them, not in Africa, surprise, surprise, and so on. So there's a global inequity about vaccine supply as there has been with COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah, wow. Really, really interesting. Like so many different sets of issues. I mean, in terms of the ethics of it, there's the public health aspect, balancing harm against protection. There's the vaccine and justice side of it. There's also what you said at the beginning, which is that this is a neglected disease. The fact that we just haven't been paying attention, even though it's been around since 1958, you said. Yeah. And that's exactly, thank you for summarizing that so nicely, Catherine, because that's exactly why I sort of elected to talk to you today about a disease that I've never seen, but that's intrigued me because of the ethical aspects of it, as well as the virological aspects of it. It's quite fun being an infectious disease physician from time to time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is fascinating. I wonder if there, if you've got anything in the Australian context you know, is there anything that you think that we should be paying particular attention to or, and I mean this kind of like ethically, or you may even have pragmatic advice for listeners, but what do you think that we should be paying attention to in no, Australia? I mean, I think from a Sydney health ethics point of view, we should be paying attention to the ethics of this and what it tells us about the ethics of the way we manage infectious diseases generally in the world. I mean, we all know yeah. about global inequity, but how do you address that? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there are some people, um, philanthropists like Bill and Melinda Gates and so on, who've really done a lot to address it. Mm -hmm. um, their approach has been to do it largely through vaccines, which have enormous power compared with almost any other way that we try to address diseases. And so, in the long run, hopefully vaccines will be the answer to uh, monkeypox or whatever pox we're going to call it later on. Um, and watch this space in terms of where they become available. And, you know, we'll all throw our hands up in horror and say, oh, well, it's really difficult to get them to Africa and so on. Um, uh, but Bill and Melinda Gates have shown that where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. Where there's a will and a lot of philanthropy dollars. Yeah, well, I, th I mean, what a way to spend your money. Yeah. Um, you know, the number of lives they've saved is into the millions now. Mm -hmm. Quite extraordinary. Well, thank you so much. I think that we're kind of at the end of our time here. It's been fascinating getting this insight. Well, thank you for inviting me, Catherine. I've enjoyed talking to you. It was a pleasure. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the She Research Podcast. Uh, you can find David's paper linked in this episode's notes, along with a transcript of our discussion. SheePod is produced by She Network and edited by Madeline Goldberger. You can find our other episodes on Spotify, Radio Public, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks again for listening. Bye.